Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. Antioch kids, at this time, you may be dismissed to go to your classes. Teachers, servants, we say to you, you are sent. For those of you who remain in the gathering today, that is young disciples, grades first and up, and adults as well, if you're interested, there are sermon guides right over here um, on the small table. Um, I also want to make mention of something pretty special about today. Um, we kicked off something that we're calling the Simple English Bible Class. So thanks to Matt Reynolds and Mark Mihalov and others for initiating this and getting it started. This is a space where internationals can not only grow in their English skills, but do so while learning the Bible. The hope is that this can be a further step into Antioch for those who are coming to our local sending ministries, that is food pantry, soccer, ESL, and the community garden. In fact, what I've heard is that there actually were some students at the Bible study this morning who got connected to that via food pantry yesterday, and that yesterday was a, another growing, fantastic food pantry. So thank you to Bill Staten and his crew of servants who made that happen. And then our further hope is that it may even lead folks who come to the Bible study to join us in our Sunday gathering. So that means a couple of things. One, let's pray for this, okay? Strategically, let's pray for this. And secondly, let's be hospitable. Genuine love communicates across language barriers, doesn't it? You may not have the words to have a deep conversation with someone who is from another country, but you can still communicate genuine love and affection and welcome to them, and they will feel that, and let's express that in hopes that they will be drawn to Christ in our midst, okay? Also, as you pray for that in your heart today, I ask you to pray for my voice that it would hold up as I try to get through this sermon. There's so much stuff going around. In fact, let me pray just a moment for myself, for this, and for those who are sick in our midst. Father, we bow before you and we thank you again for all of these wonderful things that you're doing in and through the life of our church. We pray over the simple English Bible class and ask that you would bless it richly, that it would be a place of welcome, of growing, and a very practical skill, but also through learning about the word of God. Stir hearts to ask questions that get to deeper gospel realities that can be communicated. We pray that they would feel welcome by us in this gathering, that we'd love them well, Father, and that they would be drawn to the person of Jesus Christ and trust in him. Lord, we pray over my voice and ask that you would help it to hold up today. And we pray over those who are sick with COVID and strep and sick flu stuff all going around, that you would give mercy to them as they recover. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ken, if you want to go ahead and make your way up here today, we're going to continue in our emphasis called Antioch Family. And because we aren't just a church made up of families, but we are one big family, then today we're going to speak about a part of our family that is easily misunderstood and often overlooked. That is singles. And so I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And you can find that on page 955 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. If you see things on the screen that are underlined, that means that those are answers to go with your sermon guide. So look for the things that are underlined. The title of today's sermon is The Anchor for Singles. And once again, I'll be shooting for one main application. Church, 
Let's anchor our singles in God. So with that said, if you're able, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we will be reading verses 26 through 31. Church, hear the word of the Lord. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do you not seek to be free? Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. The Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks Thanks be be to God. You may be seated. Well, anyone here ever been to Shaker Village near Harrodsburg, Kentucky? Anybody? All right. It's a fascinating place. The story goes that a certain sect of Quakers called Shakers came to America from England seeking religious freedom and then, fueled by the Second Great Awakening, moved west from New York and into Kentucky. In the 1800s, they established a commune called Pleasant Hill, where they became renowned for their farming and craftsmanship. And even though the setting has been restored and you can still visit it today, the last Shaker died in 1923 and the sect no longer exists. Why did it come to an end? Well, it may have something to do with its theological foundation. The founder of the Shakers, known as Mother Anne, believed that the only true road to salvation was celibacy. That'll do it to a movement, won't won't it? (laughs) She also believed that Jesus appeared to her personally and revealed that his second coming would be as a woman and that she was very well that woman. Therefore, the Shaker's official title was the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, an appearing that they believed had already happened, which fully ushered in God's kingdom, meaning they would no longer be given in marriage and would no longer need biological families. Now, we can laugh and shake our heads at such a thing, which I kind of do every time I go to Shaker Village, but the reality is that people across all of history have wrestled with Christianity's implications for marriage and singleness. And we're always seeking to apply the scriptures in reaction to an ever-changing cultural landscape. And the very same dynamic came into play as soon as Jesus ascended 
into heaven. Listen to how Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1 says this, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, they wrote this to Paul, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul isn't writing a treatise on marriage and singleness in this chapter. Like he's responding to a very practical concern. <clears throat> now you might be wondering, why in the world would someone say this? Some transla- translations even read, it's good to not even touch a woman. <coughs> Excuse me. But remember, this is in reaction to an ever-changing cultural landscape. So Corinth was known far and wide for its sexual immorality. And the natural pendulum shift then for Christians <clears throat> could have been from anything goes to nothing goes. Give me just a minute. <clears throat> that <clears throat> would have been an overreaction that could have gone so far as to affirm celibacy for everyone <clears throat> like Mother Anne, or at least give the vibe that sex is dirty and unspiritual. <clears throat> Here we go. I warned you. (coughs) Call it crazy, but consider how that same vibe is often at play in our own cultural context. So as Christians reacted to the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, it gave rise to things like the purity movement of the 90s. So think true love waits and I kiss dating goodbye. And though that movement sought to champion abstinence before marriage, as the Bible does call for, it also left many people with a couple of assumptions that the Bible does not call for. One, that the pinnacle of the Christian life is marriage. And two, that sex is dirty or unspiritual. And I know that is true because of how many couples have admitted to me and Katie that especially for wives... They often carry an unspoken feeling of shame toward intimacy with their spouse. I also know this is true because of how many singles I talk with who feel as though they are viewed as incomplete because they aren't married. Now, what's the point here, right? I thought this was a sermon just about singleness, Brad. Well, the point is that our views on marriage and singleness can easily be shaped more by our cultural context than by God's purposes for it. So take the single in today's world. Put up this graphic for you. You have on one side the wind of doctrine that we might call as the Western or modern view. That is, it bows to the idol of individualism. Here, marriage is beneficial to the extent that it serves and satisfies you. Don't dare let marriage get in the way of your dreams, your ambition, your career. It says if you stay single, then you're a free person. That's one wind. The other wind that comes in is the eastern or maybe traditional view. This bows to the idol of collectivism, where it says that marriage and family are the pinnacle of life, the only way to have a true identity and legacy. And it says, then, if you stay single, then you are a weird person. What's wrong with you? Get it together. That, my friends, is a stormy sea to navigate. 
And singles will need an anchor in order to not be blown off the map by every wind of doctrine, whether that is cultural philosophy or cultural Christianity. So only the good news of Jesus Christ can provide that anchor. Let me say that again so I can get an amen. Only the good news of Jesus Christ can provide that anchor. So let's consider it together. Paul writes this in verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own, here it's underlined, gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now we have to remember the basis of Paul's response comes from some Corinthians' assumption that celibacy is preferable for Christians. And even though singleness is Paul's personal preference, he doesn't lay it down as a law from the Lord, does he? And this is one of the first lessons we learn about applying God's word in our cultural context. We have to distinguish between our personal preferences and what the Bible actually says or doesn't say. So when Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, he's referring to his own celibacy. Later in the passage, he will explain why such a commitment is a a good thing. But for now, he only speaks to why he won't turn that into a law for everyone. Because each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. So first of all, what we see here is an expression of humility from Paul. Paul could say, I prefer to be single because I made my mind up to do it. Hence, I'm kind of a better Christian than you. But instead of taking the credit, he points to God. Paul is only celibate because God has enabled him to be. This simply builds from Jesus' words in Matthew 19. If you remember, his disciples say to him, Perhaps then, Lord, it's better not to get married at all. But Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. It's a gift. And there is the heart of what enabled Paul and Jesus to remain single. Both singleness and marriage are gifts from God. That means the question of whether to stay single or get married cannot be decided by applying one oversimplified law for all people. And that forces you to do what? Depend on God for his grace. God, what gift did you give me? And that forces you to do what? Wrestle with him. We've seen from Genesis, he wants us to wrestle with him. God, what is your desire for my life? How are you at work in my desires? And this is radically different. This is the radically different nature of Christianity compared to anything else in the world. Western or modern individualism says, your identity depends on what you say about you. So don't get married. You stay in the driver's seat. And then Eastern traditional collectivism says, your identity depends on what others say about you. So don't stay single, so they'll say, oh, bless your heart. Okay? Thus, Both marriage and singleness become means of defining yourself and serving yourself according to the world. 
But Christianity says your identity depends on what God says about you. Therefore, there's your anchor. Christian, listen. God says you are forever a beloved son or daughter because of what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. So you are free to get married or stay single. Both can be good, viable, blessed, faithful, fruitful ways to live the Christian life. And then from that truth comes this implication. In Christ, neither marriage nor singleness are a means of defining nor serving yourself. They aren't primarily about you at all. The ultimate aim of singleness and marriage is not your personal fulfillment. It's your conformity to the image of Christ as you serve God and neighbor. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve yourself? No, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, it's easy for singles to look at marriage and think, Boy, if I had that, then I would be fulfilled. And yes, there are wonderfully satisfying things about marriage, but it's also hard. It's hard. It's a crucible that exposes your selfishness by design and demands your sacrificial service. Add children to that and the weight of your daily cross is multiplied. You can have a house full buzzing around you 24-7, and still experience a gnawing sense of being all alone. And that includes both emotional and physical intimacy. Because it's something that we're afraid to talk about in the church, singles don't hear from us married couples that intimacy can be wonderful, but it can also be difficult and frustrating and unsatisfying and at times, non-existent. And in order for it to be what God intended, it has to be about serving more than being served. That's hard. But it's also easy for married couples to look at singles and think, boy, if I had that, then I would be fulfilled again. If you're in a troubled marriage, or just a hard season of marriage, or you're run down by the sacrifices of having a family, or you're struggling with sin. It's tempting to see singleness as the greener grass. Yes, there are benefits to singleness, but it's also hard. It's hard. And this week I asked some of the singles at Antioch to share with me what it's like, both the good and the bad. And here are a few examples of the harder parts that they mentioned. One person said, Singleness can sometimes mean breathtaking, gut-wrenching loneliness. And along with it, the temptations to fill that loneliness with whatever worldly pleasures you can find. Another said, I have felt overlooked as a Christian single. And within that, it makes it easy to hide. To hide pain, grief, and need. Another says, there are a number of things I wish that I could just pass off to someone else and not have to deal with them. But instead, I just have to figure out a way to fix it. Another said, being single gives me more opportunity to be selfish in a way that would otherwise be blatantly obvious to a spouse. 
Another said, you feel left behind. A lack of intimacy with someone that should know the deepest part of you. Another said, I can't fully be part of the families in the church. And with conversations tending to be around children, I can't relate. So see, married couples, this too is a crucible. And I know that sharing these quotes makes it sound like singleness is a curse. But listen to how Paul continues in verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul explicitly says that singleness is good. But the measure of its goodness depends on what? The measure of the gift. If you don't have the gift, or you can't put the gift to use, then you're going to burn with unfulfilled desire that may well lead you into sexual and idolatrous sin. So Paul's application here is, get married. Now, that doesn't mean, on the one extreme, find anyone who's willing. Okay, believer, unbeliever, you know, whatever, just get them, get married. It also doesn't mean on the other extreme, having unrealistic standards. As one pastor said, settling for nothing less than an astronaut with a PhD and a background in fashion modeling. Okay. (laughs) You have to understand that in the Bible's cultural context, marriages were arranged There was no dating. There was no preference. There was no standard besides that which families decided upon. But in our culture, we place so much emphasis on finding your soulmate that courtship is crazy high stakes, isn't it? And so what's needed here isn't a one-size-fits-all list of boxes to check for singles. What's needed here is Christian families and a church family that can come alongside singles who desire to be married with encouragement and prayer and discernment. And I'll say this on behalf of singles because they mentioned this. That does not mean flooding them unless they request it. It does not mean flooding them with blind dates. Okay, That's not necessarily the the way to love them unless they ask for that. And the reason why is because it's not that simple. To just try to set them up. Consider this spectrum. That is a display of even our own congregation. We often think with simplicity on this. On one end. You got, is the spectrum working? Is it coming up there? Okay, I didn't see it in the back. So on the one end you've got, okay, single by gifting. This is the person who's single, satisfied with it, wants to stay that way for the rest of their lives unless God interrupts something. Then you think, okay, then on the other hand you've got the person who's married by gifting. They're happily married like no need to change anything, that's where they're going to be for the rest of their lives, hopefully, okay? But wait a minute, it's not that simple. There's also the person who's single but not by gifting. Therefore, they are living in this world where they don't have the gift to remain single and they deeply, painfully desire marriage, but it's just not coming. And so they have to live with all the angst and the pain, the temptation, the confusion around that. And then, but on the other side, and this may not be as common, but it is out there, a person who's married but not by gifting. 
Think of it like this. A person who maybe was married as an unbeliever becomes a Christian after they're married and suddenly realizes they have this deep, deep desire to serve the Lord with everything that they have in their life. Maybe go overseas to a place where maybe only a single person could really functionally go. But they can't because they're married and they want to be faithful to the covenant that they've made. Okay, so that dynamic is at play. But then in the middle and somewhere all over the spectrum, you've got those who are uncertain. I don't know if I have the gift of singleness. I don't know if I have the gift of marriage. I'm wrestling with it all. Then you have the person who's divorced. They've experienced marriage, are no longer in it, and now are living with the difficulty of like, what do I do with that? Does that mean I'm supposed to be single for the rest of my life? Does that mean there's an opportunity for me to get remarried? Like, what, do I, what am I doing here? Then there's, then there's the widowed in our midst. You know, they're not single by preference. Suddenly it's by what's happened to them in life. What do, they, what do they do with that? What I'm saying here is that this is complicated. Like Paul, rather than giving an oversimplified law, like we need to walk with one another in great sensitivity. And because we are a church predominantly made up of families, we need to love the singles in our midst by doing two things. One, lamenting the challenges of singleness with them, but also by celebrating the benefits. Because if you don't, then you just pity them and you just walk around with a bless your heart sort of attitude toward them. What exactly are those benefits? Well, Paul speaks to them in verse 32. He says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint on you, literally here, not to put a lasso on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So what Paul is getting at here, I think, goes back to a word that we used at the end of the Genesis sermon series, relaxed. Paul wants the Corinthian believers to serve the Lord not from a place of great angst, but from a relaxed soul humble and confident in God's plans for their lives not this I have to get married or I'm less of a man and not serving the Lord from a place of I have to minister like a single or I'm less of a wife no that's not relaxed at all that's not what God wants for us and so what Paul seems to be saying here is the relaxed single person has less chance to be lassoed by non-eternal concerns. Here are those benefits that we alluded to earlier. Some of these amazing benefits in singleness. The single person is freer to pursue the Lord. More likely to turn to the Lord first instead of another person. More refined by the battle against temptation. More available to serve. More easily sent on mission to hard places and has a greater capacity for friendships in both number and depth. Think about this. The Son of God, who embodied perfect humanity, did so as a single. He did. 
he kind of he, he made a big difference in the world, right? There's sarcasm for you. And not just Jesus Christ, but also people like Paul, Augustine, Lottie Moon, David Brainerd, Amy Carmichael, and John Stott. Kind of got a lot done, didn't they? And then there are others who had long seasons of singleness, such as C.S. Lewis. Did all these people have the gift of singleness? We don't know. Did they not have it and then asked for it? Which, by the way, singles, I think you can do that. Paul says elsewhere that we can eagerly desire gifts that build up the body. Did they? We don't know. What we do know is that the gift of singleness doesn't mean that you never get lonely, you never are tempted, you never feel bitter. It means that you have such a deep desire to serve the Lord with your full faculties that marriage would actually be more of a trial than a gift, more of a challenge than a blessing. It means, as the poet Jackie Hill Perry puts it, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us the sufficiency. Yes, like we should celebrate the Ephesians 5 beauty of marriage. You know, Paul brings that out in Ephesians 5. We point to it at weddings. We celebrate it. We, we wonder over it all. We should celebrate the Ephesians 5 beauty of marriage in both those who are happily married and those who stick with an unhappy marriage to honor the covenant love of God. But we should also celebrate the 1 Corinthians 7 beauty of singleness. People who with their lives are saying, Jesus is sufficient for me powerful both those who are single by gifting and those who stick with it in honor in order to honor the covenant love of God both marriage and singleness are simply signs pointing to something far greater so let me conclude today with the section of Paul's word beginning in verse 26 I think that in view of the present distress It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Anybody read that besides me and go, what in the world is he talking about? You know? I wrestled with it a lot this week. Here's what I think Paul is getting at. We live in a time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And if we really believe that, I'll take a risk here. Can we just admit that it's kind of awkward? It's amazing to live in that time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. But it's a little bit awkward. 
Now, I didn't take that from the Greek or anything, but here's what I mean. We believe in a king who died and rose again, who ascended with authority over everything, and who is coming again at any time to claim it all and to set it all right. That is heavenly, that is cosmic, that is mind-blowing. There's a part of me that thinks if we really believe that, we should be like running around screaming at people, telling them, he's coming back, I'm not going to work tomorrow, burn the house down, woo, let's get ready. Doesn't matter, nothing matters. I'm married, who cares, take it off, let's go, Jesus is coming tomorrow. But we don't do that, do we? No, we don't do that. Here we are, living the single life. Living the married life, mourning sometimes, rejoicing sometimes, going to the grocery store. That's heavenly and cosmic, isn't it? No, getting up tomorrow and going to work. It's awkward. You see what I'm saying? There's a little bit of awkwardness here. This is coming. It's so wonderful. But here we are just living normal life. It's almost easier to be like Mother Ann and the Shakers and say, hey, man, let's just act like it's already here. Now, what's that song from the 80s? Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They did that dance, too, and they did it. You know what I'm saying? In some ways, it'd be easier just to, just to live that way. Say, it's already here. Let's just act like it's already here. But here's how Paul is encouraging us not to do that, not to take that song as doctrine. The present form of this world is passing away. So everything you do in your normal life, do it in light of the future. If you mourn, don't overdo it because everything will be made right. If you rejoice, don't overdo it. Everything will be far greater. If you're married... Don't get too attached. A greater wedding is coming. And if you're single, don't get too solitary. A forever family is coming. (coughs) (coughs) Y'all get me worked up. My voice is going out. Yeah, please. I got it written down here. I'm almost done, so it's it's so close. If it just goes out now, it'll be tragic. For the follower of Jesus, everything is awaiting this vision from Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. My friends, neither singleness nor marriage are going to fix you. The only thing that will fully satisfy you, body and soul, is being married to Christ and united to his family forever. 
This is the pinnacle of the Christian life right here. Let's not settle for anything less than this. And so, here's the application. Let's help one another, and especially our singles, anchor our hearts here. And part of that means married couples and families intentionally make room for singles in your lives. Here's another line from Jackie Hill Perry. For many singles, the feeling of loneliness is so tangible, not because of the insufficiency of the gift, but because the community of faith is so absent. We need to feel that and own that. Married couples and families. And so, you know, maybe we can steal this sort of perspective from the mission field. If you've been on the mission field, you know this concept of like a family who lives there. Suddenly the, the, the teammates who are around you become adopted aunts and uncles. You know, because you don't have actual aunts and uncles living there with you. So the single two-year, you know, missionary becomes aunt whatever to your family and you just kind of adopt her and she kind of adopts you maybe we can get that kind of sense going in our church and and just take that perspective finding a single as a family you find a single and you treat them like an adopted aunt or uncle you say come to dinner with us jump in family worship with us go on vacation with us you know come on get in our lives get in here not because you're incomplete Because honestly, we're incomplete without you. Get in here. We need you. We want you. And another part of this means married couples and families. Let's admire and learn from singles instead of pity them. They are fiercely following Jesus in a culture that urges them towards self-gratification. And a subculture that suggests that they are second-class citizens. So instead... Let's see them for the complete brothers and sisters that they are. Amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. Don't worry, I'm going to use napkins as I break it here, okay? (laughs) Took a loaf of bread, and after breaking it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until what? Until he returns. It's coming. Every time we do this, church, we are announcing that Jesus Christ is coming with a wedding. And a forever family. Our invitation this morning, if you're a baptized believer, is to come forward to break off a piece of bread, to dip it in the juice and take it. There's gluten-free available over on this side. If you're here today and you're not a believer, don't come and take this. It's just a sign that's pointing to something greater. The sign is pointing to the greater reality, Jesus Christ himself. He has made himself available to you. Turn away from putting yourself at the center of your life and instead say, Jesus, I want you to be king over my life. I want your ways to be my ways. 
I want, I want to receive the gifts that you want to give me, the gift of, of, of forgiven sins, of eternal life, perhaps the gift of singleness, the gift of marriage, all the gifts that you desire to give me. I've been turning away from them, Lord, and refusing them. But now this morning I confess I need them, I want them, I want you. And I want to be invited. I want to be invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be part of that forever family. That's the invitation for you today who are not baptized believers. There are going to be pastors and folks in the back to pray with anyone who has any need at all. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. We thank you so much for this anchor that you give us. This anchor that is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in the empty tomb. We thank you that he took our place. We thank you that he embodied perfect humanity. We thank you, Father, that he can restore us to God by faith. Lord, we thank you that he can minister to us in such a way that whether we are given the gift of singleness or whether we are given the gift of marriage or whether we are somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, he is enough for us. And I pray that your word from 1 Corinthians 7 would minister to your people today to bless and encourage and build them up and to help them to bless and encourage and build up one another. Lord, may we continue to see and celebrate beautiful marriages and families in this, in this body. May we also celebrate and lift up beautiful lives of singleness lived for the sake of Christ. God, have your way in this moment. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.